Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray shifting the spotlight away from the pampered multi-millionaires of the professional game and getting back to our roots here at Good Good with a co-host inspired episode today. The topic of public golf and how best to try to protect it is rarely far from the surface. But all too often, we bog down in focusing negatively on those who have the opposing view. It's understandable, but is it helping to achieve the end goal? That's what we're going to discuss today with friend of the pod, Sandy Jemison, who'll be long in just a moment. But first to my co-hosts, and as always, we start with the man who should be in a rare good mood, Adrian Logue. Logue, the walk here has been fixed. Construction's finished on the building next door. The path, the footpath is clear. It's fresh. It's new, newly laid asphalt. You must be happy. Oh, look, I'll, it's it's okay. I'll find something to complain about. <laughs> There's a little bit of un- that new asphalt's a little bit uneven. Un- the joint is not good, is it? The, yeah. It goes flat and then it goes on a slight rise and they haven't done the joint very well. I'm with you on that. You should be careful. Yeah. Also in studio, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy and Digital Editor Jimmy Emanuel, whose column yesterday is the inspiration for today's chat. That gives you a peek behind the organisation here at Good Good. Absolutely. <laughs> How far in advance we work things out. Jimmy, you've gone woke. What's with the let's be nice to the non-golfers theme? <laughs> I'd a, say a lot of people who probably read my stuff and know me probably already think I am woke. In a city Chardonnay sipping lefty. That, well, yeah. I don't really like Chardonnay, but well, sure. Craft, craft breweries, maybe. Yeah, he's the watermelon, mate. Green on the outside, pink on the inside. You're all pinko commies, you wokesters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> this is workplace this is bullying. Workplace bullying. If bullying, I was getting yeah. paid for this, I'd yeah, complain. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I, I'll, try, I'll triple your salary. I slept, I slept in a bit this morning, so I've woken up in a nasty mood, so be prepared. Okay. Uh, looking forward to exploring it today, and we'll be doing that with a man who's done more in this area than anyone I know, to be honest with you. I've always worked at the Oakley Public Course in Melbourne and the development of his one-club concept to introduce people to the game. Sandy Jemson, always terrific to chat, mate. Thanks for taking some time today, and I know this one is right in your wheelhouse. No, it'd be good on uh, Jimmy. I read your article. It's that spot on, mate. Absolutely spot on. Thanks, mate. The line that stood out to me in the piece yesterday, and I want to get your thoughts on this to start with, Sandy. Try to engage rather than rage. I think we've all felt that temptation, haven't we? You see a piece in the Herald, Clovermore standing outside the fence, pointing to the empty golf course and making the case that it's for the few. It's almost instinctive, isn't it? To say, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Is there value in that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that down here in Melbourne with Northcote. Yep. Um, there was some of the, you know, some of the people who have loved their golf course. They see it under fire, and I think you know when you when you get threatened, the first thing most people want to do is is go the opposite way and you know get angry themselves. But much is the case. I think sometimes we think it's going to be there forever, mm-hmm. um, so we don't proactively work to protect it for the future, and that's where golf's at at the moment. Um, not just public, but private as well. We need to sort of be looking after a game otherwise it is going to be it is going to start disappearing it absolutely is and you're right about that you come to have this sense of entitlement don't you you think that you're entitled to have a golf course and you're entitled to have access to it you would have seen this at, at oakley in your time there and other golf courses i'm sure public golf courses where you've been you get a core of people who start to think of it as their golf course and it really doesn't lead to positive outcomes does it you're not presenting to the world a particularly welcoming face no absolutely and, and look i don't know what it's like in sydney but when you and and in Brisbane and, and other and other cities, but in Melbourne, when you look at the history of the great sandbelt clubs, so we're not talking public here; we're talking private. Mm-hmm. They all sort of came from courses that are now under houses in a city. So I, I don't think this is a new thing. I no. think that the the push of um, of housing and the rest of it happened previously, and they moved, albeit to better sites, because these sites, you know, a lot of the golf clubs originally were on clay in 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 a city. Um, but now 
I'm not saying that should happen again because we so we need lungs for the for the community to breathe. But golf has historically been pushed out. Yeah, you're exactly right. What inspired this, Jimmy? Where did this come from yesterday? I think it's been a bit of an ongoing thing. I've been thinking about that column for a while because there's a few things mentioned in there that have sort of popped up of late social media and stuff. And uh, there was a tweet that's now been deleted that got everyone a bit riled up about a golf course in uh, Nebraska that, oh, yeah, we could just build this big block-style accommodation and whatever. Number one, I don't think that area in Nebraska needs it. Um, But it got a lot of people talking about this concept of just the easy way of, oh, well, let's target golf and get rid of golf because we can just build all these houses and we can do whatever. Um, the other one was the video at Sabonic at, in New York where a protest and, and I looked at that and it intrigued me from the protest side of things. I think you don't see that at a place like that. But that the instant commentary on it and comments from people was, oh, let me add them with a four iron and let me do this. And it, it's it's exactly what, these people are trying to make golf out to be, which it isn't. Yeah, you make their case for them, don't you? Like? You make it so easy for them when you when you act like that, and when the first instinct is to tell people how wrong they are, or or, or say you'd physically hurt someone because they've got a differing of opinion to you. You're exactly why the sport gets targeted. You're the problem, not the solution. Is that the <laughs> when you do that, like? Yeah, and it's interesting the contrast between those two examples you give. Uh, Sabonic being, or, or Sabonic as you say. Um, is, We've got a uh, real pronunciation issue here. We probably shouldn't have gone into audio, the three of us, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you write this stuff down, it's never a problem. It's the same when you're writing stories and you just write these names. <laughs> yeah, like, Thank right. God I'm not a radio. Yeah, like, right. Brutal. Um, anyway, Sabonic being one of the most private courses in the world mm-hmm. um, and like with a million dollar joining fee or something, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. It's what people who don't play golf think golf is, that, isn't it? it? It is exactly that. It's a hugely, ex- super expensive, really exclusive. There's a certain segment of well, community. Well, I, th- I think, I it, think it's, it's one of those ones that it's not. Yeah, it's one of those ones that pushes through mm-hmm. so far that it's actually a okay. real golfer's golf course. It's right. not not like a... Doak and Nicholas, I think. Yeah, together. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That said, um, the... I, there should be far less objection to something like that being targeted because there's a lot, actually a lot more of that golf in Australia, for example, than there is public golf, which is very accessible. Mm. And then so the uh, the opposite example um, where I think it was a municipal course that yeah, was, was yeah. being used as an example, that that wasn't an actual housing plan either. That we're no, that's, to- it's, a, it's a guy who he calls himself the transit guy. He's all about... Basically, infrastructure and stuff okay. like that. Fifteen minute cities, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and just this this it's kind of a throwaway concept. But the fact that the throwaway concept instantly goes to golf always goes is to the golf. problem. Yeah, and it's really interesting that I, I follow a few of those transit things on YouTube and such. I, I think they're fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a really interesting subject and the the built environment and looking at the way that affects people's lives around us is really fascinating. And Sydney is a fantastic case study because we've got such a housing shortage that rents are ridiculous and uh, buying is out of the question for gener- like a, perhaps a, the next generation. And uh, we do need, we desperately need more high, actually high density housing um, and especially around the infrastructure that's being built with trains and things like that. But I think the point that, and you linked to this thread that followed that tweet, so Garrett Morrison, the fried egg, did a did a thread which very succinctly described a lot of the issues here and some of the solutions. And uh, one of those was that golf courses, p- 
particularly public golf courses, aren't necessarily the best thing to target to solve that problem. It, it acknowledges the problem, but also that those aren't necessarily the best. Because golf courses, public golf courses, and golf courses in general, are potentially extremely expensive to convert to housing because of all the infrastructure and everything that's under the ground already in a golf course has to be pulled out. And it's, it's not an easy task. To Sandy's point about golf in Melbourne that went to better sites, golf in Sydney particularly is on really bad ground a lot of the time. Couldn't build you couldn't build on most of it. And it's it's why it's there. It's, it's, it's a purpose sometimes. It serves for a purpose, but and flood, councils flood having, having at one stage in my life run a business with some other people for a council, golf is a great thing for councils because it counts as open green space yeah, right. that they have to have certain numbers of against however the density of the population but it also brings in money if it's public golf. Yep. So that's councils, most councils like it. I mean, you don't see many unless they have a very strong purpose to, to get rid of golf. No. Um, and, and the anger stuff, quickly before we keep going on it, is I, I understand it. If you're passionate about something, you want to defend it. That's that's okay. That's Often that's never defend. It's not defending public golf, though. It's like get off my fairway. Yeah. Correct. Which is not – Anything to do with the property ownership or the use of the property, it's just like I'm entitled to exactly. shoot a golf it's, ball here that's, and that, you're wandering across like an idiot. That's the perfect word is entitled, is that entitlement is so often what bleeds through in the response to this stuff. Yeah, indeed. And and that's that's what the the non-golf public perception is. I want to come back to – remember the Marrickville thing. Remember some of your stories from that when we talked about that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about there, Sandy. You're probably of the three of us. You're probably the one who's done the most dealing with the other side, for want of a better term. I would guess. What's your take on some of what's just been sort of said there? And is it a majority of golfers? Do you think that have the response that Jimmy's talking about? Because it is certainly the squeaky wheel gets the most attention. No question. We see those tweets and those responses. Do you reckon it's the majority of golfers, or is, are we a more sensible bunch than we sometimes appear in public? I. Th- I think um, certainly at the golf courses I've worked at, it seems to be a fair a majority of golfers who get upset by it. Like at, at Oakley, for instance, there's a large um, – in the city of Monash, there's a large um, Chinese community or people with origins from China. You'll see people have never actually seen a golf course before, especially people from Hong Kong and what have you, and they'll just come out and picnic on the middle of the fairway. Um, Why wouldn't you? Uh, or somebody – well, when I was first there, I came, it was quiet pre-pandemic when I first got there. And I actually had a photo of people sunbaking on the first tee. Outstanding, um, which is great. I, I've got I've got no issue with it. It's just as I, I used to go down with a club and a ball, and and sort of explain as best I could um, in my broken Chinese. Not really, um, <laughs> very broken. <laughs> that that um, you know, there's a spot up there where you can sunbake away from the golf. They just don't know. Yeah, and I, I think I get that a lot. You know, from the most mild mannered. Um, Oh, women at the golf course coming in, swearing and carrying on. So I, I see a lot of that. Mm. It's look, it's an education thing. I, there was I don't know whether you guys listened to Matty Goggins thing a couple of days yeah. ago about his audio one where he plays a guitar first. I don't know what that's about, Matty, if you're listening. But um, <laughs> and he's talking about uh, explaining to the people in Tasmania, hey, we want you to come and ride your horses. We want you to walk. It's a bit of sort of Sam. I am. I don't like green eggs and ham for the non-golfers. They haven't that. They, they, for some reason, they don't they don't like it, and they don't want to believe the good things about it. And I think that's where I. But yes, people are very protective of their golf space. Yeah, yeah. But I, like I remember as a kid going to play, going go to Yamber on the mid north coast of New South Wales every year. A great little golf course at Yamber, and I learned to play golf there. And there was a. Did, did you sing any tunes in the car on the way down or anything? 
Camel train to Yamba, John Williamson. Okay. There you go. Good. Yeah. Okay. I'm completely lost. Can we get back to the... <laughs> sure. Um, but, What's the pie situation like in Yamba? Oh, yeah. Great bakery. Scary image above the bakery of these faces that they'd had cartoons, but they'd been weather washed and one of them was green and stuff, but great Ooh. great food. Man, great okay. pub to the Pacific Hotel. But okay. I digress. There was a... So we learned to punt? Uh, yes. <laughs> there's an, uh, there's a, a large sort of part of the indigenous communities off the back of the golf course there's a like a lot of a lot of the, the people live up there they would come down and use the edge of the golf course the young kids and play touch footy on the second fairway and the guys in the pro shop knew it was happening and they just if someone was new and they just say oh yeah there's gonna be a bunch of kids out there playing football um they know you're there and they'll notice you're there and they'll get out of the way um and if they're not in your way you're not in their way and you're good Sharing space, it's pretty simple. And, and like it was probably a case of we don't want to go out and cause trouble and argue this, like you know, quite a while ago, but it's a shared space. Now, there would have been a safer way to do it, sure, but just going, look, we have this and there's other people using it in a way that's not affecting us and we're not affecting them. Why don't we work out a way to try and work around it? It must be said, the first fairway is the best place for something like that as well at almost every golf Marable club that's going to have that sort of shared yeah. thing because golfers are done with the first fairway before any other fairway in the so afternoon. Last right? group so of the day is done. You've got the first fairway. You've got the first fairway to yourself. And obviously Marrickville is known for having taken advantage of that with making it into a dog park, the first and the might be the third, fourth or yeah. something like that, the couple of adjacent fairways there. music on there. On they're the, also on very the flat. Thing. They're near the clubhouse as well, so that if there is a problem, it can actually be managed by the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. It makes a lot of sense. I, remember, I, wanted, to, I wanted to come back to Marrickville, though, because I remember we did that episode when there was talk about closing off sections of the course to um, – it was a couple of years ago now with the council. Remember you showed me the Facebook page and some of the comments oh, from golfers yeah. that were just horrifying. Yeah. As a golfer, you thought to yourself, that space should be taken away from you. You don't deserve it because you don't understand what's going on. How did they get from there to what you're describing now? Because that whole first fairway dog park came in the wake of that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah that Facebook thread was a low point, I think, for golf, but also a low point for the um, you know dog walkers and, and community people that were contributing to it. It was just set Degenerated, up. didn't it? Didn't yeah, it, just... it was just a dumpster fire. But the... Um, but, you know, those attitudes remain. I think there's no doubt about that, that there's, there's a lesson to be learnt there. But it did, uh, I think, in our minds, it, it gave us the feeling that we should, at every opportunity, communicate this idea that Jimmy communicated in his column and that Garrett's communicated here, that golf does itself no favours by attacking. Mm. And uh, it's also just what are you actually defending when you attack um, are you defending your right to just hit this golf ball down a fairway or, or are you aware of the bigger issue, which is, uh, you know, this protecting this space? And I always get back to, you know, it's these public courses that get targeted because they provide a little bit of access to the public, whereas the private courses with the fences provide no access at all and nobody's even really aware of their presence. What goes on there? Or it seems like too big a problem to fight. Um, if you're interested in taking over golf courses, private golf courses don't seem like the fight that you want to pick. But and yet, you know, oh, you know, Sabonic the protest was it's good to see, I guess. Um, that said, we don't like seeing any golf get under threat, and part of this is prepping golf and the golf industry and golfers for um, you know what to expect in these situations, and always act like you're under threat. 
Absolutely, because you know, people think that the whole Moore Park thing went away last yeah. year. No. Well, no, it didn't. No. It's just taking a little hiatus. It'll be it, back before it, long. It's just but what does that mean? But it, Always yeah. acting like you're under threat. It doesn't mean being aggressive to non-golfers. No. It means, quite the opposite, it means opening up yeah. the course for being ready bit for the of discussion. multi-use stuff. Having yeah. a, it's the thing we don't do, isn't it? So being able to point at examples of where you've done that's the right thing, we, environmentally yeah. and sharing with the community. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't make our case, do we, Sandy? We especially don't make it outside of golf. In some ways, the game's a victim of its own success. We've got two large retail magazines devoted to the game here in Australia, which is a tiny market, countless websites. I do three separate golf podcasts uh, that I'm involved with in some Seems way. Like yeah, many more. Well, that's Seems because like you're, you're so much. You're, <laughs> I've got a studio. Come on. Um, but we immerse ourselves. We talk to ourselves a lot, don't we, Sandy? It becomes really important. How do we get that message beyond? There's a lot of people. Every time we post some of this stuff, the uh, the young girl in the paragolfer who made the putt the other day, I retweeted that and said, you know, this is the re-. – it always gets great engagement from golfers. But we talk to ourselves, Sandy. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the ways we can actually talk to non-golfers is acknowledge the major thing they like about the game and find times to invite them into it. So – the major thing non-golfers like about the game is the space. So if you walk into your supermarket and look down the aisles, there's a lot of green. Marketers aren't stupid. They know we like to buy things that are green. So in even a private golf club, invite people in to have a picnic one Sunday a month or every two months or twice a year. And when they're there, actually talk to them. So Bill Jennings, like, at this point came up, Bill Jennings, who was part of the big Northcote thing, mm. you guys had him on. Terrific bloke, Bill. Um, with all that fight that was going on where the non-golf side, the politically motivated non-golf side, was sort of making golf out to be elitist, um, and the lo- a lot of local residents who didn't play golf getting really upset, Bill and his team went and door-knocked the whole area. And the vast majority of people weren't aware that it was a public golf course. And once they found out it was actually a public golf course, they go, oh, no, that's great. You, we, you, you stay there. Mm. So I think that's a thing to engage. Where I was talking about how to engage with them, well, let's invite them to the space. And I'm even talking the private golf clubs. When I was at Commonwealth Golf Club, I did speak to a captain once and saying, how about we have the local residents, we send them a letter and invite them down to walk their dogs around or walk around with us. <laughs> was that on your last day, Sandy, just, or your second just last? Just once. I, look, it didn't happen, <laughs> no. but I thought it would have been a good idea just to bring them in, walk them around, give them a cup of tea or something, and say, hey, this is what we do. This is what we do here. It's not yeah. what not what a lot of people maybe think. Clates has always campaigned for that at Metro. I don't think it goes down too well. Let's tear down the fences, he says. I think they, yeah, might, well. they might have a dog day at Metro. I think they do have a dog day. They do have a dog day, yeah. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, it's for the members, though. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure Sandy's flying close to your copyrighted tea party idea there. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking that too. <laughs> Trademarked. Trademarked. Yeah. Yeah. Run us I through it again. A, because a beer, not a no, cup no, of tea. No, nobody it, needs to see the tea party thing again. I think but. they do. We might have some new listeners <laughs> okay. or some who've forgotten. I, I say it because we joke, but it's a really interesting idea and could, in fact, go a long way to solving one of the biggest problems we've got here, which is exactly that. We talk to ourselves and not people from outside the game. Yes, well, simply tees are a flat area and they're generally the safest Safe. parts of a golf course. Often yeah, the back tees. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they're often a little bit shady and they've often got a little bit of coarse furniture there, like a bench or something like that. And tees are often also somewhere near boundary fences. Not all tees, but there's often some tees at a golf course that are near a boundary fence. So some sort of accessible way to get into a course and access that flat, relatively shady, relatively safe area of a golf course 
uh, would be uh, you know something I think you could you could sell and built in entertainment. Sandy, you've worked at several yeah, golf courses. And t- golf is coming through every <laughs> yeah, ten minutes or so, and, and you might even see the odd good shot, yeah. which would be less entertaining. You might have no yeah. interest in it at all. <laughs> no, that's exactly yeah. right. The golfers might like invite you to come up and hit a shot, like some. So it's, Ride Scott a Wa- cup style. Come Scott Warren says he does that at the the sixth at uh, New South Wales Golf Club. He's probably going to lose his membership. <laughs> but, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed uh, your time there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, there's a public walking track yeah. famously yes, there. That's right. And I guess that's a lot of people's only look at a golf course, people going along that public walking yeah. track, and they wouldn't yes. be aware that they're looking at two of the best, I was about the fifth to say, and the sixth. It's a fair they're start, isn't it, introduction to Two golf. of the greatest holes in the world. Yeah. Uh, but Scott says sometimes he keeps some old balls in his bag and invites people up to, like, you know, throw hit one into the Pacific. It's walking door, the walk, you know, to, Yeah, that is walking the walk. Sandy, can that work? What logs like that? That's one spoke potentially of a bunch of stuff you could do with the space. We had Dave Hill on here. Was it last year, the year before? Like, we were in the old studio, so the year before. He'd been to this symposium on public golf, and one of the things that I found intriguing, there was a golf club there, I think it was in New Mexico from memory, had started an active, a proactive campaign to invite the public in at various times for walking tours of the golf course to point out all sorts of flora and fauna and do exactly what you're saying. Is there a reason why we haven't done it, Sandy? And do you think it could work, Those the, the themed sort of thing? Like what, Logs? I think tea parties are a fantastic idea. <laughs> I really do. I think the reason we haven't done it, we touched on earlier, where people are happy doing their game and they're not going to deal with any threat until it actually arises. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just laziness. Um, to Logue's point, um, I think one of the big introductions, you're talking New South Wales, people walking on a walking on a walking track, a lot of golf clubs, and this is private golf clubs, have spent multi-million dollars building these massive clubhouses, and one of the justifications is, oh, we're going to have functions. And I know lots of people who their first time they've seen a golf club, they've gone to one of these big flash clubhouses for a wedding or for whatever it might be, and they look out and they see this golf course. So it's actually having something to engage them after that because they look at it, and then their idea about golf is, well, it's elitist because there's a massive multi-million dollar clubhouse, and they say, oh, can we play there? Oh, no, it's private. Yeah. So I think, I think that that... That brings issues itself. We bring it on ourselves, you know, like a you know, fourteen, fifteen million dollar clubhouse that people can see it but can't touch it. I think it becomes an issue. Give us your give us your church analogy quickly, Sandy, because it's a good one and it touches directly on that point. I was thinking of you, Adrian, what can, what analogy can I come? <laughs> I think in golf we've built cathedrals. So all of a sudden, you know, we've got this great game and we've felt the idea to build this massive big cathedral to show all powerful how good we are. Yet the cathedrals are empty and it's the happy clappers in the town hall around the back of the supermarket that are full. You know, if, if, the, if, the, if the game and the message of the game is really good, I don't think we need all the glitz and glamour around it. Yeah. It's true on multiple levels. That's the thing yeah. you talk about with that, that fear of missing out for new golfers. They've got to buy the big bag and the trolley and oh, the rangefinder yeah. and the brand new golf club. And there's got to be 14 of them and they've got to be fitted and all of that sort of stuff. That plugs into that, doesn't it? That's right. Um, although I met a new golfer the other day who uh, has got one of those. This this is like into your territory here, Sandy, but um, she'd gotten one of these uh, adjustable clubs. <gasps> oh, yeah. She, she was so proud of it. She's like, oh, look at this. I've got this. And she's like off to Moore Park. Hitting balls and fantastic idea, the adjustable club. Yeah, yeah. The club's and been redone. Have you seen that with the Urquhart Club or what's it called? The guy in New Zealand's done it. Um, that, that like, might be what's it. Yeah, what's it called? What's the pronunciation? I've got a, a head radios me Urquhart or something like that. If you, I think it's the original name of the golf club, I think it's ERQ something, but it's a New Zealand thing. And he's sort of, mind you, it's about 800 bucks. 
How much is the one club? It's a lot cheaper than that, I think, is it not? Forty nine ninety five. I think I think that whole idea of these new golfers and, and and the conversations with them with Tea Party and if that was the way that people started, that's the thing. Once you actually get into a conversation with people who even might be ardently against golf with it, they might have this aggressive mindset first, but not nearly to the same level. But then once you start to have the conversation, it, it softens and it goes and it becomes a, a civilised discussion. And you're often the one who's going to impart some knowledge about what this is because golf is unique. And speaking to them and finding the avenues to your point earlier is very difficult. But, you know, I spend most of my time away from work with non-golfers. You know, why would I want to hang out with people like you guys all the time? No. But there's, Absolutely. but I've had a lot of conversations around with people who are near where I live, whereas a very much not a what you call a golfing area of Sydney, and and people who aren't in any way attached to the game about whether it be women's golf or golf courses or anything like that, and take my time to listen to them and then have the conversation and try and explain why certain things are certain ways and why and what I think can be better, and I think. Once that conversation starts, then there's some intrigue and then there's, maybe I could learn more about it. Um, And rarely when you, if it's a person you've just met or don't see that often, the next time you talk, rarely will it still be that ardent, no, you're wrong, golf is bad, Mm -hmm. if they have any interest in having a conversation. And I think when it's an aggressive way first, it it stops that conversation from happening. I mean, the idea, I I was going to bring up Tea Party as well, that that just being there and seeing it. Mm -hmm is then the start of things. You know, Hmm. people are so conditioned to that's how you learn something. That's how you get introduced to something. And that whether it becomes an actual pursuit of yours in the case of golf or not, it's not necessarily important. It's about whether you know what it is and you appreciate it is for what it is. Hmm. I mean, my, my son the other day saw Bluey, an episode about cricket, and we were just sitting there on the couch and he went and started digging away in the corner of the apartment where there is a stack of sports stuff because he's not that into sport, but that's what I had when I was a kid. He came back out with this beach cricket set that his grandfather had given him three years ago and said, can we go down and play cricket? Because he'd seen it. He wanted to do it. We came up with a way of playing it that worked for him. He now wants to do that all the time. He went you know, back to his mums who had to throw balls at him for you know, an hour and a half because... Nice. He's seen it in a way that he likes to see things, and then it becomes, okay, I'm interested. Tea Party is kind of that way. You, you're uh, witnessing something in the way, whether you want to sunbake like Sandy's people at Oakley, or whether you want to sit there and have a family picnic, or whether you want to just read and you hear the noise of a pure golf shot. And what was that? And suddenly you're intrigued, and you've learnt about it in your way you want to do it. That's how you speak to people who aren't in golf, is you allow them in in their own way. Really. So then, um, Jimmy, what, what I have to add straight up as a game, we've got to get an act together. Say, so, okay, we want to show we want to show people, yeah, golf is great. It's affordable. You can do it. But then the next step is I'm interested. So I've done a lot of R&D, obviously, and I've made a lot of phone calls. Let's guess the response I got. So I'd ring up posing, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I've got a family of four, um, my wife and two teenage kids. And we like to play golf. Can we book a tea time this Saturday and play? We've never played before. And you ring local busy public golf course. What's their response? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Every listener's the, having the, the same the response, response Sandy. My God. <laughs> so funny. then they I, say, oh, no, you need lessons first. I, I've I need seen... lessons first. So can I do a lesson with my family? Oh, no, we've got women's clinics this time, junior clinics this time. Yeah. 
okay, so private lessons, how much is that? Whereas Jimmy, with your son, yeah, I can go down the park and play cricket. Or yeah. Adrian, you and I want to take up tennis. We can go and get a couple of tennis from tennis rackets from the op shop right next to the golf clubs. And we can go to a tennis court, no problems. But golf, we've got barriers. So as an industry, okay, we want to tell people golf is accessible and fit. you can play it. But then how do we easily, and it's not just one club, but there could be a whole myriad of things. There's, there's no easy entry to golf. No, no. And I think that's partially because there's obviously a lot of stuff that's ingrained and inbuilt in the golf industry, but also those people outside have no idea the difference between a public golf course mm. and a private golf course. Oh. Like what Sandy said about Northcote, that Northcote, there's a golf course down there, I assume I can't go there. Yeah, or there's a golf course, I assume I can go there. Like the people walking through New South Wales and seeing Scott Warren and then they go, oh, I like this, and just driving in the gate and going, oh, are we here to play? How do we do it? I've, I've seen this. I think I might have told this story before, but the- at Really the, not again. The, 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 new material. Like the private course where I play- I remember like 11 a.m. on a Saturday once, the place just crawling with members, like teeing off uh, for, the, for the members comp on a Saturday. Like a family of four have just come in, <laughs> like like it's like 10-pin bowling. Like yeah. they're, they're like, Can oh, we, we, we a want lane? a game of golf. Can we hire a and, hole? And <laughs> <laughs> want to play. And, but the pro, to, like, to his infinite credit, it's it really uh, left an incredible impression on me, said – Look, I'm really sorry. Just right at the moment, I can't help you at all. But if you come back at 3 p.m., and I'm also just going to have to ask you to, because of these stupid rules we've got, you're going to have to Change buy socks. The, these socks or something. <laughs> but if you come back at 3 p.m. with your family, like just exactly as you are now, like I'll take you out for a couple of holes, and you can. And it's, this is what it's going to cost, and you can you can play. Yeah, wow. And it, it just in the middle of very busy service with like groups coming through trying to get the members away, and I was just incredibly struck by it. I thought that's that's how the face of golf should be: the teaching professional Absolutely. at a club, welcoming the public. <laughs> stumbled into. <laughs> did you, but did to, you drop to your Sandy's in your snifter of brand? <laughs> 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 to say, I, I dipped my top hat to him. Um, <laughs> um, gave him a wrap with the cane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you scoundrels, you wags. Off you go. To Sandy's point about how that first impression of a private club can be, I think that's really a point really well made that when you go into a function or something, it doesn't become it, – it's not actually aspirational when you see the golf course. It's intimidating and mm. pushes you away. I think that's that's a really important thing. I my my daughter. I'll never forget one time my daughter who went to public school, um, a, a, but you know, an okay public school, but still their playground was all like rocks and dust and everything. Proper playground. <laughs> and um, the uh, but across the river was the boarding school where I went, <laughs> and she um. And the uh, you have just explained so much. I never knew that. <laughs> this is people listening are getting so much of a background. Now we got a peek into the brand. And, yes. Um, of course, like the the private boarding schools like have shorter terms and everything, and so like they've all gone home for holidays, and like my daughter's school gets to use some of their facilities. Yeah, and she's come home one day, super pissed. She's like, "What the hell?" Have you- <laughs> Why, keep it, why do I like? Why am I here? Why is can I go to boarding school? Yeah. <laughs> like what the hell? You've got this like Olympic sized pool that we used, and like this, all that, and the the lawn next to the driveway is <laughs> way way better than our pl- rocky dusty playground. Like it just yeah. 
I think that I think that first impression <laughs> thing is so important. I, I, I remember as a kid, I, I learned to play golf on public golf courses. Dad was a member of a private golf club, but he didn't feel that he would be allowed to take me yeah. at 11, 12 years of age, despite being not bad at the game and loving every minute of it and willing to dress however I needed to dress to play golf. Excluding your own members. <laughs> he felt it wouldn't be allowed. It just I don't want to don't want to do the wrong thing, which is crazy. And then it was uh, the head pro at the place who, full credit to him, said, "You got a young fellow who likes, you know, bring him down. Bring him out. We'll, we'll charge you ten bucks to go and take him to play golf." You don't see and many then, young fellows catting for their dad. No, that's how I started or, or too. Daughters, but, but that's how I started. Yeah, yeah, and he he then said, "Oh no, Jimmy needs some clubs." And he rustled up a second-hand set of, you know, older model stuff that had been traded in by members and for a nominal fee and off we go. And this is a while ago, you know, so it's different price-wise and how it all works. Taylor made burners. No. <laughs> Not quite. But he said, you know, let's get him out there. Bring him down. I'll give him a lesson. Didn't charge Dad for the lesson. Get him involved. Get a kid into golf. That is obviously not the case with every single place. No, no. More and more it is, and, and people like Sandy being the first person, this is an important part, is the professional is often the first person, but uh, some of them aren't invested in what happens with it. But that example where Logue's talking about is fantastic. But how we get more of that, I don't know, because Sandy's right. You, the, the way you first go to go play golf is it's a bit of a minefield. Yeah. Uh, and again, I talk to so many people whose parents might be golfers, and they say, They'll call me, oh, I want to get dad a birthday present. He loves his golf, you know, he's a member of X Club or whatever. And I often say my best my best suggestion is for people who play a lot, don't get less go buy him a lesson. Yeah. Are we allowed to do that? Of course you are. Or does it does he have to be a member at X where you said to go and see this guy? No, he doesn't. And then they tell their dad, oh, I'm not a member there, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. You've just got to but calling up you call like oh, Saturday's a great example. If you work during the week and you're busy, your chance to call, you know golf clubs are open on a Saturday, so you go, I'll call on a Saturday. They're probably quiet. You think of it as another business. That's right. You call a pro shop on a Saturday at 10.30 in the morning, you're not getting a full <laughs> a full, full conversation pitch. and sales pitch, are you? So how people get their first interaction is difficult. Um, and everything kind of runs separately, so it's hard to get a unified approach to it. Just before we move on, you need to go back to the annual No Laying Up Christmas gift threads on Twitter and start recommending much better gifts like the all-in-one cleaning tools and the clicker counters that keep your score. Well, you know what would make a great gift? Yeah. Oh, well. Some clothing from Angus and Grace Go Golfing. <laughs> oh, nice. this podcast. Done. I would nice have to done. agree with that, Adrian. Yeah, nicely done. Well done. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, in particular, they've got these new Merino mock necks, which are in store now um, and I think available online now as well. I believe so. Well modelled by a handsome, tall man. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Made from the world's most ethical Merino wool. Is that right? ZQ Merino. I'm yeah. genuinely intrigued by this stuff. I it's, think that's it's genuinely cool. so comfortable, yeah. thin, breathable, but warm. But it's made with responsibility, which is a big part of mm. Matt Burns and Angus and Grace Go Golfing. That's a whole new retail business thing that's sort of the next generation of kids are going to be horrified at the way we've lived and the things we've purchased and the way we've consumed. That's really sort of important stuff. Where do I get it, Logue? Uh, you can go to Instagram, Angus and Grace Go Golfing, or the website is angusandgracegogolfing.com. 
or you can go to the shop in uh, William Street, Paddington in Sydney. And on a Friday afternoon, you might even <laughs> find myself in there having a, Manuel, yeah. <laughs> having a refreshing beverage. And I might even sell you a shirt. I do that on occasion with me. Funnily enough, that's exactly what you'd like to find it at your golf club on a Friday afternoon, isn't it? You could just wander in and have a bunch of beverages with people and just be sort of in the environment. Sandy, this is what Scotland gets right so much, does it not? Just historically, St Andrews we know is closed on Sunday and people walk around and use it. The game there doesn't seem to have built, certainly not to the extent we have in other parts of the world, this um, this sort of confrontational, exclusionary notion that has put off people. A lot more people are kind of indifferent to golf in Scotland. They're not sort of anti it. We find that much more outside the game. It's actually the whole of the UK. Mm. So, you know, I've, I've lived there for a while and you're down to some of the most exclusive clubs in in um, in London, around London area. It's public space. People walk through it. And, and that's my point earlier. You know, I think most of the listeners on the podcast get the UK thing, but I think my point earlier is people love the green space. Let's find a way to invite them into it occasionally and educate them. It's, yeah. it's it's when I'm say educate them, not you know throw it's your just... finger at them and tell them this is what you do. You know this is golf, but for me we have to get the pathway in right first. There's no point. Um, there's no point saying this is golf. You can do it, and then all of a sudden to do it, you're up for a thousand dollars. You know in lessons and equipment. It's all how are we going to get them into it? Um, I suppose it's not in the best interest of most retailers to say just go to the op shop and get yourself some secondhand clubs, but. To, to Jimmy's point of view, there used to be that time. I mean, Stephen Ban, a lot of your listeners may or may not know of Stephen, one of the better golf coaches to come out of Australia. He wrote a golf book years ago, my first golf book, and the very first page was a kid on a push bike right, and said, ride down to your local golf club and get them to cut you a seven iron down. Wow. I don't know how I don't know how many – there's a lot of pro shops who can't even cut a club down these days. I don't know how equipped we are for that pathway. Certainly, there's most most golf clubs. When I was at Commonwealth, the members were fantastic, and I did a junior program, and I used to go to the members and say, "Hey, listen, I've got you know X, Y, and Z child who need a set of golf clubs." And before I knew it, you know, I'd have thirty sets of golf clubs donated in the pro shop. So, you know, it's just the pathway. How do we get them from "Hey, I'm interested" to onto the golf course? What's our responsibility as individual golfers, Logue? Or is, it, or is this a job for GA and the PGA and others and I just play on a Wednesday and a Saturday or whatever it might be? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because golf takes so much time as well. So the your, I think I'll put that back on you a little bit because you've got your invite a friend to golf day idea that you... It's never gone anywhere, surprisingly. Never gone anywhere. <laughs> but I, I, guess, I guess maybe ask why and it is very difficult to set aside the time that we think of as golf to go and play golf. Although I did have an experience recently where um, I was with a couple of golfers and some non-golfers and we did have some time set aside to play golf. And there's a form of golf um, called in, in America, which is a very interesting thing to introduce people to the game called Operation 36, oh. um, where the, the concept is you start so close to the green that for nine holes – You've got to you've got to shoot thirty six on your first time out. So like it's fifty meters off the front of the green, but with nothing in front of I'm you, out. sort of thing. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and on average, most people shoot like forty eight or something mm. like that on their first go. But if you can shoot thirty six from fifty meters out, then you can graduate to level two, where you go back to hundred meters. And then once you can shoot thirty six from hundred meters for nine holes. Then you can go back further, and you just you progress through six levels or something until you're hitting off the normal tees. And uh, the couple of like myself and the other golfer that was there, 
we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that with you. So we, because it was still fun for us and we, the whole thing was over a lot quicker as well. But you go right up in front of the green and just everyone plays from there and they, they just get the sense of like what it's like just to sweep the turf and make contact with the ball with a very small swing. And I was really reminded of Sandy's thing where it's like when Sandy dem- demonstrates the golf swing to a completely new golfer, he doesn't hit the ball 200 metres. He, he just hits it 20 metres or 20 feet. And well, mate, that's a... The, we need. We actually. This is like the pathway in again. The same thing. So I think that there's a a massive piece that needs to be written, displayed, put out there about how to introduce someone. You know, I, I jokingly mentioned happy clappers before. Like us golfers, there we're we're sort of as devout to our game as any religion. And in most cases, it's a golfer who introduces another golfer to the game of golf. But how they do it is generally horrible. It's the best intentions, it? but it's yeah. horrible. Like. I would see um, when I was managing Oakley, I would see every day at least four new people come to golf and the the person trying to introduce them stands up on the first tee and talking for about five minutes yeah. and they te- peg their driver up and they make this massive big swing. Um, whether they're any good or not, they generally make contact and it generally goes flying off miles away and they give the club to their friend and they have a go and they miss it and they miss it and then they say, oh, do this, keep your head still, do that, do that. And all of a sudden, golf's not a great experience. So, again, it's pathway in. What is the pathway in? And and I see it all the time with people who have done pathway lessons and they might have gone to five lessons and they haven't practiced in between. And by the fifth lesson, they've got a driver in their hand trying to make a driver swing. Uh, and they're just not ready for it yet. So they go out in the golf course and they have a pretty poor first experience. I think, I think that's part of the perceived rigidity of golf is if you take a kid out say for a first game and you look at where there's tee boxes and oh well you hit off that one I suppose I remember learning and dad would play from whatever tee and then just get to a point in the fairway where he felt I could get there in a couple of shots and just go okay tee it up there Mm. you got to make it achievable don't you you start here there was no tee box. There was just a spot that was relatively flat that, you know, probably wasn't carrying water and everything like that. But it was only his intuitive knowledge of mm. golf and I know what Jimmy's abilities are at this point. And then it was you start to score that and because we're both competitive people, it was so that we can compete with each other as well. And then he would move me back and that was the way it went. But, you know, that that is on the proviso of someone introducing you as a golfer, not a couple of new golfers who show up and, uh, you know, the rigidity of this is the designated teeing area. You know, non, like, flexible teeing areas is something we as people who play a lot of golf love the idea of, of, oh, we can play this hole a bit back or we can play it up and make it drivable or we can do that. It's also something that's so good for the other end of the spectrum too. Mm. Um, but there's obviously reasons behind why it's it's done and everything like that. But um, that idea ties into what Loke's talking about of going close and starting and working your way back. I, I've done stories with, with Sandy about that too, about learn to hit it just in front of you and work, get bigger. Yeah. Don't get don't start big, and, and yeah. that's a temptation for people who are attracted by hitting it far and everything like that, but they'll get there a lot faster if they learn how to do it quickly. But like Sandy says, pathways, it's it's understanding that and, you know, whether that's the golf pros, whether that's the golf clubs, whether that's golfers, uh, everyone's passionate about it, but channeling that passion is... In an effective way, not just... A, a, for anyone who's interested, Ian Renshaw, the father of Matt Renshaw. Yep. Um, so... 
He's a um, professor in Brisbane at uh, Motor School Acquisition, and he's done a whole lot of pieces. I got onto him through some other podcasts I listened to, and he's he's got science that backs up what I do. And it basically says we start small, really small hits, and we build up because you've got to be able to. It's a spatial awareness game. Mm-hmm. You've got to you've got to be able to build that up. The Operation Thirty Six is absolutely fantastic. The only thing I struggle with Operation Thirty Six, if you set it up on nine holes of golf, you know, once you've once you you've got to walk all the way down to the green on the first, mm. and then you've yeah. got to walk all the way down to the green I, on the second. I actually see that as a positive because they can, like, if they're in a field, then yeah. they they can sort of keep up and you know stay stay in their place. But also, you know, you're just just looking around the golf course Chat, and appreciating the golf course. Yeah, what, what's, what's better than walking down a fairway? Just like, it's fantastic. Well, hitting a golf ball down it's, a fairway. Well, true, exactly. True, true. Uh, One thing I'm always struck by, I think all golfers golfers are struck by this, is how far you can hit it with a half swing. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like well, you, you might find actually, the middle of a club. You can actually get around. A hundred percent. You can get around pretty well. I, I, I remember I was doing something the other day for a magazine issue or something else and looking at some instruction stuff and reminded again of when you're trying to teach someone who has, and Sandy will know this better than anyone, but trying to teach someone who has an issue with impact and teaching them to just hit punch shots but consider a punch shot their full swing and how much better they will hit it and how much further they will hit it. Just because it doesn't have the end on it doesn't mean it's not certain people. And and that ties into that. Once you you start small and you make contact, it's actually going to go further. Yeah. Like this idea. Me, part of my golf, I've made, a, um, I've made an impact sticker that is just the middle of the club. So it's a, oh, a bit more than a 10-cent piece, so between a 10 and a 20-cent piece, and it's got a smiley face on it or a target. And we stick it on the middle of the club, and it's okay. We've got to hit it in the sticker. Yeah. And especially when you take kids out to play, when they get that blue mark in the middle, and I explain to them, you know, you get that, you get like a superpower. Yeah. Um, then it's let's start small until you can turn it blue, and then I'll give you another sticker and another sticker. I had a kid the other day; he looked like he had the pox or something. He had fifteen stickers stuck on his head <laughs> after he's finished it. But it's, that's a, the, we forget that it's a bloody simple game. Yes, exactly. Hit a ball with a stick, yeah. and that's and that's learning acquisition stuff again with young fellow who's learning to read and stuff. You start with small words, you get to bigger words. Hmm. You learn your letters, then you learn your words. Good point. That is one how, day you could be on a podcast. Yeah, well, that's right. One day you can pretend to r- know what you're writing about for a living. Like it, it's it's how we build things, and so often golf isn't done that. And I think that's on a learning the game level, like what ta- Sandy's talking about. But I think that's also on an introduction level too. The idea of if you've you've got a friend who's never played golf and they say, hey, oh, I'm interested. Oh, let's go play it in holes." <laughs> well, no. come on, please. Yeah. Like there is, yeah. there is not. I'll teach many, you. I'll teach you. Even worse, can you teach me? No, I can't. Which is which is the hard thing because we we talk about golfers sharing golf and being golf's biggest advocates, but there's also people like us who say you know you're not qualified to teach your friend or you know you, that sort of stuff. It's hard. It's uh, it's hard balance, which always comes comes back to the same thing. Yeah. Sandy, I'm reminded when you were talking about what you were just saying there with the stickers and the kids and all of that sort of stuff. We, I feel like what we lack in golf so often in this area, which is ironic given the nature of the game, is just a bit of creativity. We're too rigid in what we do. We've done it to the game too. You know, courses have to be 18 holes. There has to be four par fives. There has to be four par threes. We take this game of extraordinary freedom and in every way we try to put chains on it for some reason. Yeah, 100%. I, I had this sort of discussion the other day. You know, if you ask someone what are the fundamentals of golf, immediately they say, oh, it's grip, stance, posture. posture. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the game of golf. Mm. 
you know, the fundamentals of golf are we hit the ball the least times possible until it goes in the hole. Yeah. Um, we got to do it safely and we're going to do it at a speed where everyone else can enjoy the, the space as well. And we forget that. And I think that's what makes it how like there's a, some like regional courses with the community golf instructor program. They find it hard to get community instructors. And I think it's because we haven't outlined how simple instructing someone in golf is. If you just say, I mean, they're not stupid. We hit the ball with the stick yep. the least possible times until it goes in the hole, start small, build. Um, you don't have to teach them anything. They will get it. You know, saying, oh, yeah, but the fundamentals of golf, you have to grip it a certain way. Well, no, you don't because some people only got one hand. Yep. So if you're saying the fundamentals of golf is this grip where you're saying people without a disability can't play, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, oh, you've got to have your feet aiming at the target. Well, tell Lee Trevino that yeah. Sam's need that. One way open, one way closed. So we've just confused this game as being something more than hitting a ball with a stick. I also said the other day, if we're trying to introduce people to golf and we think that giving them the best fundamentals of the game first is the ideal way to start because then they're going to be better players. They're going to enjoy it more. If that's what if that's what we start with, I want everyone to visualize the golfer at their club who has a really ordinary grip, who comes way over the top of it, starts at the left trees, banana bends it back to the fairway, plays off about 15 or 16. Could be a hooker as well. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They love their game of golf. They have no desire for a golf lesson. They pay their fees. Either, either as they play or, every, or or yearly, they spend more money in the clubhouse than everybody else. And if you said to the the golf club, do you want more of those? Mm-hmm. They say, absolutely. They're, they're our prime member. Yep. So if we start by saying, well, you have to learn properly, you know, in, in, in brackets properly, well, you're going to scare off a whole lot of those best members. But let's not. We're not trying to produce great players here. We're trying to produce people who love the game those who have the desire to become really good players, those pathways are there. Yeah. But let's not start them thinking they have to be technically great. Fabulous. Anybody got any positive examples? I think Sandy's a positive example of some of this sort of stuff. But to finish up with, where are the rays of hope, Logue? Anything that springs to mind for you? Well, it brings this background to public golf. Like my, Again, my, I used to take my daughter for lessons at uh, this private course, which has a very good Junior clinic. In the middle of winter, was it? In the middle of 7 o'clock in the morning when there was ice on the ground? Because, yeah, that was the only time, really. And and the big I'm, draw cover. Can I just say that all the examples of the schooling and the thing, I'm so on board with Logue's daughter <laughs> so in every way she thinks about the world. I think we anyway. need an intervention. <laughs> she's, um, <laughs> she's now interested in golf. That, that turned her away from golf. Um, but she's now interested in golf, and uh, but it's the sort of the sort of thing that interests her is like having a hit with me at Bondi. Yeah, mm. great call. Make sure you do that with them. I, I think I when I came into golf and played, like I said, I played a, a lot of other sports and I had a decent level of aptitude at all of them. Golf was where I was probably at my best and I thought about wanting to do that for a living, but I really disliked, and I don't know why I did. It's Thinking about it now, I don't know why I did, but I really disliked that all the focus was on elite players, even though I was probably close to that category myself. You were that sub-elite that's not quite No, I don't think it was. It was just that I didn't enjoy the atmosphere of it, that in a golf club, that was the only group that you went and did it with. Um I oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. <laughs> you now play with low. No, but this is the thing is, I, I say to people all the time who 
learn about what I do for a living and then ask about what I love about golf and the the fact that I don't really love playing golf myself anymore. I still love golf, but I don't love playing golf myself anymore that much. But I will happily go and play with a friend who's just getting started and is so keen on it and just wants to go out and do that. I'll happily go and play a stupid game with Logan, you know, other people and do something silly. But it's it's the people who aren't very good that I really enjoy going to play with. And I think that ties into that growing up and the, mm. this elite idea of, yeah, I, I like being competitive and doing that, but that's not too much anymore, but it never was. Um, you, you spoke about positive examples. Sandy is one of the great positive examples. Agreed. I think it's probably a bit of a blight on golf that Sandy is such a standout example. Mm-hmm. Sandy shouldn't be... Should be the norm, jeans and a yeah. woody. <laughs> Sandy shouldn't be something that's so you know, obviously different. No. That's, that's disappointing for the rest of golf. Oh, look, who would put that up as an ad? Look at him. For the game. Look yeah. Honestly. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, I need some Angus and Grace. <laughs> and there you go, Angus and Grace getting involved. Yeah. But I think the other examples are that tweet you shared the other day of the- Ayuna. Ayuna playing. There's, there's a lot more of that stuff now. Um, the great examples of what golf can be, I think the thing about golf podcast with Brendan Lawler this week- is a fantastic example. Again, Brendan is at the elite level, but Brendan represents something far greater than him winning the G4D Open. Um, Very much. The best line in that podcast with Brendan, for me, was- um, The one I bleeped out? Yeah. No, right. actually, when he, when well, he followed you, up with you Can did, I you, Swear? You did, you did come you, up with a good one. We used that in the, in the pool um, post. <laughs> the, the absolute best line in that is, you know, when people suffer a trauma or an injury, yes. become disabled, a lot of things get taken away from them. But golf doesn't. That's There's right. a possibility. There is that pathway into golf. Yep. You know, for me, and you know, I won't ramble on. The biggest positive is when you see the AGIC um, Nature Report, where they surveyed Australia. I'm assuming it's reasonably accurate, not like a political poll, but it's it's found there's 5.8 million people in Australia who would like to play golf but have not yet. Yeah. Mm. So if there's a positive for an industry, so potentially there's 5.8 million new customers out there. And that's, that's, the, that's the low-hanging fruit, Sandy. Oh. <laughs> that, that's the stuff that you could just pop off the branches. You know, you don't and the other do thing much. is golfers, we're self-deprecating. I mean, you know, already we've heard Jimmy's not a great putter. and <laughs> Jimmy's uh, not a great you, putter. You didn't like the idea of Operation 36. <laughs> no, that I did not. Tipping. Um, years ago, last story, when I was working at Ringwood Public Golf Course in the heyday, it was busy. They employed someone to survey everyone walking off the 18th green because um, it was run by a leisure company and they were surveying all the facilities at Maroondah, city of Maroondah. And it just so happened the surveyor was about my age, the opposite sex, and very attractive. So I thought I'd make my my idea that day to go and make sure she was welcome. And at the end of the day, I'm having a chat to her and she's saying, Sandy, I don't know why people play golf. And I, I, what was that? I forget her name. Um, why is that? So, well, I've surveyed every other facility and, you know, one of the last questions is, you know, you know, did you have a good time? And the golfers are all going, no, it's terrible. I played like, uh, 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 carried on, what have you. And then the next question is, are you going to book, are you going to come back again? And every one of them said, yeah, I'm booked next week already. already. Booked. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's right. 
Well, I, finally, there is something in that. There's a column somewhere mm. for one of us in that. What is the appeal of the game? And it's there's something about golf that's different. It's the constant failure that makes the successes. It's a gambler's mindset, of, I think. Sort of, yeah. Golf, I mean, golfers have a gambler's mindset. It's like next time will be the one. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's the addictive thing of you hit one out of the middle that happen, when yeah, you're getting that, started. It at the macro level with a round. It happens yeah. at the micro level with every shot. You yeah. just look at how people's mood changes from shot to shot. What does that they day call it? Is there's turns their whole day around. There's shot shot euphoria, hole euphoria, yeah. round euphoria. That's yeah. the progression. By the time you get to round euphoria, you've got yourself a golfer that's going to be both miserable. Yeah, and you, and you chase you, – you, you hit that one flush one when you're learning. Yeah. And you go, well, like Sandy talks about, like it's like a superpower. Yeah. It, the feeling is unlike anything you've done before and the result is unlike anything you've done before and you chase that. and what Rory's still chasing. You, and you never yeah. you never experience the high of that first one you hit like that again. Mm. And you hit them more frequently, but you uh, become more perceptive and more – that there's never a perfect. There is no perfect well, you've got to hit the shot. next one, don't you? Well, there's Great no, that you hit it here, but now you've got to hit the next yeah, one. There's, there's no perfect round of golf. There's no, you know, there's no perfect golf tournament. There's, it's just not a word you can use, and so you could chase that forever. Get Huggy started on the flawless round of golf. Oh, the oh. word flawless. Oh, he, gets, he gets very fired up whenever he's on his 65 I'm, 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 bored. I'm on board with that. I am too. I think he's, It's uh, impossible. He's there's fine. no such thing as a flawless round of golf. Yeah, indeed. Well, I think- as always, we've identified a bunch of the problems. None of them are particularly new, but hopefully there's something that resembles some sort of a solution in there in bits and pieces as well. We'll keep motoring along slowly in the game, and who knows? Hopefully it uh, – well, here's the thing. We need to get on with it because if we start to lose public golf, we really will lose the game. That will be the death of the game. Absolutely. And if we don't get proactive and defend it, protect it, and, and guarantee its future, you can sit in your fancy expensive club for as long as you like, but that club's not going to be there most likely in 50 or 60 or 100 years if we don't save public golf now. So. And, and also, Rod, we've got to do it while it's, um, while it's a topic. I've had multiple um, young women come to me over the last couple of years and say, Sandy, I want to learn golf because it's the in thing. So whilst it's the in thing... Like let's let's harvest make it. a while the sun shines, Sandy. It's simple stuff. Yeah, isn't I think uh, Sandy and I was talking about it before we came on air that I I have this personal perception from my time in the golf industry that golf is uh, very reactive, not very, not very proactive. proactive. And in the wake of the COVID boom of we're busy, public golf is busy, or we're not going to do anything different fine. now, everything's yeah. okay, it's not future-proofing. And that's not just a golf course. That's a lot of parts mm. of the industry. And I've had conversations with people in the industry and said that, and it, it's refreshing to see people with proactive attitudes about it. Yeah. But Sandy's right. Right now, and, and I, I have a lot of chats with people my age and younger who I think I want to you know, take a golf lesson or do something because – it's seemingly the thing to do. Like we, corporate golf as a uh, meeting point disappeared for a long period. Yeah, it really did. Um, that sort of charity corporate day thing, it's coming back because golf's got a little uptick and it's a bit interesting and it's a chance to get out of the office and businesses are looking at ways to engage their workers to get them in one place because people started working from home and all that sort of stuff. Golf's got a real opportunity right now to find a new identity yeah. with a certain call. a certain demographic. Yeah, great call. And golf clubhouses are empty for the meetings afterwards. Exactly right. Oh, Sandy, it's all too easy, isn't it? If you just look at it the right way, the, the thing's all too simple. Sandy, thank you, mate. Always great to chat to you, and it has been again today. Absolute pleasure, guys. As, uh, as always. Jimmy, thanks for inspiring the episode. Thanks for being inspired.
literally the least I could do. <laughs> I could not have done any less. Uh, Logue, good to have you along, and uh, thank you for your update about uh, outside. I have a chat to the people next door about fixing that asphalt, the join where the, the angle changes. Yeah, indeed, you should. Between all of the podcasts you're doing, it's actually four golf podcasts, I realised when we talked about Brendan Lawler. You do four golf podcasts. Think about golf. Yep. This one. Yep. Playing from the tips. Yep. State of the state game. State of the game. Well, a bit sporadic with state of the game, but yes. Yeah, but it's still a thing. It's so. still a thing. It is. No, you're right. still a thing. In fact, that's the longest running one. We've been doing that one since 2011. 2012. You're a... You're a uh, sat down at the President's Cup in at Royal Melbourne with Huggy, Clates and Shackleford, who'd all been guests on the various podcast thing that I was doing at the time. We sort of said, how do we turn this into something? And we turned it into state of the game. Now, now Pioneer. They've, now they've got... Like they got bronze statues of the three of you <laughs> sitting yeah, around that right. table with a with a microphone. It's where it all started. This is where it all started. Get with it. a member saying, "What's a podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was absolutely. That was and that was the case for quite some time. That's it. That's enough out of us. That's episode one hundred fifty three done and dusted. We'll be back with a special AIG Women's Open preview. Oh yeah, next week, and somebody else will be in the driver's seat. You wanted to this. Be revealed. Since the start of the podcast, this has been your dream, to have somebody else host it. Yes. You've been trying to do it to me for a long time, yeah. and I fortunately took one of the other ones. Yeah. It's only yes, taken exactly. 154 episodes, but finally somebody finally else is going to – Oh, and I'm going to be like a bad passenger. I'm going to be sitting in the passenger seat super critical. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. No, I won't be. Maybe this will turn out like me after striping a driver in a 7-iron, and we'll yip the putt getting close, <laughs> and you'll be hosting next week. <laughs> Highly unlikely. We'll be back next week to do it all again here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.